you from Gateway, you, most of you would know these two people. Uh, the first one was uh, a lady who came to our church for uh, months or maybe, uh, maybe a year. A single mom brought her kids here. And, and one day, she got up to leave from church. And when she got to her car, there was a note on her window, on her windshield. She opened the note, and it said, we don't want people like you at our church. Don't come back. Wow. Another lady uh, in our community who was accused of stealing, and it was in the paper, and she was acquitted. She, she didn't actually steal anything, but it was in the paper, and the week it was in the paper, she received a phone call, and she picked up the phone, hello? And the person, a lady on the phone said, we don't want people like you at our church, and hung up. She didn't have a caller ID. She didn't know who it was. She thought, could that be someone from my church? Could that be? And, and she was upset, and a couple of days later, the phone rang again. It was a man's voice. And the man, she said, hello? The man said, we don't want people like you who show up in the paper at our church and hung up. I tell you those two stories, and they're not... They're not easy to tell. They're not, they're not great stories. And um, we reached out to both those ladies. We made it clear, we do want you at our church. We do want you here. We want you to be at our church. We want you to be a part of our church. We're not even sure who said that. I don't know if it was somebody from our church. I don't want to believe that it was. I want to believe that it's not anybody from our church. Maybe the enemy has people who goes around and puts things on people's cars in parking lots and churches or calls people that are in the paper. I don't know. But we reached out to both those ladies, and one of those women said, I will never come back to that church. The other woman said, you mean you guys want me back? You want me there? Of course and we said to both of them, we want single moms with kids at our church. And we said to the other one, we want people whose names show up in the paper, even if they were guilty. We still want them in our church because we're a church full of people that are all guilty. Everybody. Our names may not end up in the paper, but it doesn't change the fact. So I tell you those stories, and I think, and I believe I'm right, that everybody in this room Every person in this room would say, that's not the right way to treat people. We should not treat people that way. I believe everybody here believes that. And yet, many of us Christians have said similar things or treated our gay friends in similar ways. Many, of, many Christians have said have rejected and crushed our brothers and sisters in Christ who, who experience same-sex attraction. And, and here at Gateway, the reason we're doing this today is because we believe that there's two things that are important, and that is that we love all people like God loves all people. That's the first one. And the second one is that we're faithful to God's word. We believe both of those are important. Paul, he says to the Ephesians, I think this is what he's helping them grow in because we can grow in both those things. Paul says to the Ephesians, speak the truth in love. He's saying you need to grow in that. Speak the truth in love. Now, most people, this is my opinion about this and my experience in, in life, is that most people lean one way or the other. Some people lean so far to being loving they're loving people, and I'm not trying to say this side of the congregation is loving, uh, and you guys aren't, okay, by the way. But some people are so loving, they're over here, and when there needs to be something said, they won't say it. They just won't say anything that might, that might cause problems or, or be tense or whatever, but there's so much love, and some people lean the other way, and they lean over here to where there's, they have all the right answers, every right answer, and they're ready to tell you as soon as they meet you, and there's not a lot of room left over here for love. Now, I'm not saying that everybody is on the polar opposites. I'm just saying we lean sort of one way or the other. That's just the way life is. 
And here's the truth also. Churches lean. Churches lean one way or the other. I think it's been my experience in churches that I've been around and that I know that churches normally lean this way, especially when it comes to this particular subject, this topic that we're going to make sure there's a line right here. It is a crystal clear line what we believe and we will spend energy and we will study about it and we will know what the Bible says and we have biblical reasons to say there are tr- there's truth and lines. There are specifically six scriptures in the Bible that talk about homosexuality. There's one narrative that includes uh, homosexual activity in, in that story. And, so, and one of those is 1 Corinthians 6. I want you just to hear this this morning. Do you not know? This is 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 if you want to look in your Bible. Do you not know? that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, I wonder who the wicked are. I wonder what this is about. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So it's not that we're saying, well, we shouldn't lean to the side of truth, okay? But the same churches that will spend a lot of time concentrating on making sure we know that won't spend a lot of energy all the time necessarily making sure that we lean to the side of loving the people that I just read about in that list and learning how to love those people and knowing better how do I love those people. That's really why we're doing this today. So that, so that we can try to do both. It seemed like Jesus did both, don't you think? Didn't it seem like he's here? Jesus is in the middle. He seems somehow to be able to be with everybody and they don't feel like immediately the first thing is that he condemns them or that they are condemned. They feel loved and yet he's full of grace and truth. And so as followers of Jesus, we wanna try to help our church family to be here. Not all the way over here leaning, not all the way over here leaning, but finding this balance where Christ is. So we, we hope that God will help us do that. So let's pray and ask him to help us. Lord God, I, I just feel, I feel afraid to talk today a little bit. And yet these are all people who love me. Every single person here loves me. And I, and I, just, I just pray for you to, I just pray for you to help me to relax and for us to look at the Bible and for us to talk and for us to explore how can we be people of love. How can we be people of truth? Help us, God. We need your help. Holy Spirit, teach us today. Speak through Sally, Gary today. Speak through me. In spite of our weaknesses, in spite of the messes that both of us are, speak, Holy Spirit. Teach us. So we pray this uh, through Christ. And, and as our habit, I don't want to forget, Lord, to pray for another church in our town today. I just have the uh, First Baptist Church in the Downs on my heart today. And I pray for Pastor Randy and their staff. And I thank you for all the good work they do. And I pray that the gospel would be preached there. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. May it be so at Gateway as well. And we all pray this through the name of Jesus. Amen. First John, let me read First John to you before we invite Sally to come up here. First John chapter one, this is what, this is what um, Jose read for us today. Thank you, Jose. I'm gonna read it again because I think we need to hear it twice, not because you didn't do a good job. You did a great job. First John one verse five. This is the message 
that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our hearts. John says, I want you to live, I want you to walk in the light. In the light. Well, that, that may mean several things, but I, I believe one of the things it means for sure is that we, that we are open and vulnerable and that we are authentic people. That we're not pretending, we're not pretentious, we're not, we're not coming and putting on a face. We're just open up to God, for starters, and then in, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're open, that we open our life up to the light. Because, you know, in the light, you know what happens? The devil loses. And in the darkness, the devil wins. In the light, the Spirit transforms us. In the darkness, we seem to be able to hold back from the transforming power of the Spirit. So we want to be in the light. That's where we want to be. And, and, and that can be whatever victories or failures, whatever weaknesses or strengths, whatever temptations that I face. And it doesn't mean that I have to, when you say, hey, how's your day? I don't have to say every single thing that's going on, but it means that we trust each other and we live in light. We live in light. We walk in the light. It's one of the reasons that we wanted to invite Sally Gary here. Because Sally uh, spent over a decade with secrets in the dark. I don't mean to tell your story for you, but that's, that's what I perceived, is that it's just where the devil had a heyday because it's secret. But when she was vulnerable, when she said, I'm gonna be in the light, I'm gonna be honest, the Spirit has worked. And the Spirit is healing. And that's been my experience in my life too. That's not Sally's only. And I have a feeling that's probably most of your experiences. That's probably what most of you experience. So we want, we wanted Sally to come. She's the founder of Centerpiece. And their, uh, their goal is to provide safe places for people who experience same-sex attraction. Sally and I became friends on the phone. And I'm so thankful for you, Sally. I told, I told some other people this yesterday. I'm so thankful for Sally. She's become a friend and she is a great sister in Christ. And I became better friends with her uh, a couple of weeks ago when I read this book that she wrote. And it's called Loves God Likes Girls, a memoir by Sally Gary. And it's her story of her life, really. And if you would like to read this, I think it would, I think it could very, it, let me just say for me, it helped me understand some things that I don't understand sometimes about other people's struggles. And it is, a, in my opinion, the end of the book is so powerful, it's just, it's just awesome. Those are available if you want to buy one. They're just in the, in the uh, fellowship hall here, and you can get one. Uh, Megan will help you with that today. And I want to give one last disclaimer before I invite Sally to come up here, and that is we're not going to answer every single question for you today. You're not going to leave here today and go, oh, okay. Oh, I had, a, I had 100 questions, and now they're all answered. They're not going to answer every question you have about same-sex attraction. We're not going to answer every question you have about the Bible or about our community of faith. We want to have a conversation today that helps us say, how can we love? How can we love like Jesus loved? So I hope that you guys will give a great big gateway welcome to our sister, Sally Gary. Come on, Sally. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I've asked Sally. I think you are. Maybe not. Let's see. Maybe I can... Let's see if I can help you. Yeah. Well, don't disclose everything. Okay, I won't. <laughs> All right, there you go. I got it. Good deal. Okay. 
So I've asked Sally to share. She has about a 40-minute uh, story <laughs> that she shares. I've asked her to share it in about five, six, seven minutes. So that's Ooh. not very nice of me, but that's what I ask her to do. <laughs> so we can move on to some questions. Sally, tell us about mm. this. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. And it wasn't just a decade of secrets that I kept. It was a lifetime of secrets. Three decades. I grew up, like so many of you, uh, in the pew every time the doors were open, as we say, with a mom and dad who were actively involved in every aspect of the work of the church. I grew up in the Church of Christ in Wichita Falls, Texas, and was baptized when I was 11. I was the good little Church of Christ girl in, in so many respects. The little girl who knew her memory verse. I was deeply in love with Jesus all my life. And there's never been a time in my life that I turned away from God, walked away from church. So many times we think that someone who experiences same-sex attraction or who identifies as gay has obviously walked away from God, that that couldn't happen unless they've turned away from God. That wasn't true for me, nor is it true for so many of my brothers and sisters. There's a deep, deep love and longing for God. I had no idea when I was growing up in church that I would grow to experience feelings of same-sex attraction. But I learned very early in my life to keep secrets because while my family was very actively involved in church, we didn't talk about things that went on at home. And a father who had grown up in some very difficult circumstances and struggled with rage, not knowing how to express very legitimate feelings that needed to be cared for in him too, but he often took those outbursts of rage out on my mother and me, and yet we never shared that. We never talked to anybody about that. And when my mother tried, there really wasn't much response from our brothers and sisters at church. But we were active, and we were involved, and we were faithful. And I grew up knowing that God was at the center of everything that we did. And I'm so thankful for that. So that when later in my life, when I did realize that I was experiencing feelings of same-sex attraction, something that I had heard all my life was abhorrent to God and obviously abhorrent to everyone else around me because of the things that they said, because of the jokes that were told, because of the looks of disgust and the tones of disapproval that prevailed throughout my lifetime, I didn't dare share that secret because I had heard the stories of my friends' families who had walked away from churches who had cast them out, many with some of those notes like John told you about earlier. And so I couldn't bear risking losing everyone that I loved, so I kept that to myself. And I asked God to remove those feelings, and yet that didn't happen over another decade and it was only when I was much older, after 10 years of teaching high school, I was in law school, kind of lost my mind there thinking I went to, <laughs> wanted to go to law school. But it was there that the Lord brought me to my knees and, and I realized for the first time that I couldn't hold this facade together, this facade of having everything together while keeping all these secrets inside. And for the first time in my life, I shared with someone who responded to me like Jesus. He knew that I knew all those verses, so he didn't have to recite them again to me. He knew that I knew what Scripture said, and he knew that I wanted God in my life. And so we started caring for a little girl who had never been allowed to express feelings, who had kept secrets, and we helped her bring those secrets into the light where there's freedom, where there's hope, where there's redemption. Does that mean that those feelings of same-sex attraction were instantly removed, or that they have disappeared completely from my life, not at all, any more than any of the other things that I struggle with, like selfishness or impatience, anger, pride. I still struggle with all those things too, and that's not at all what God wants for me. It's just like my experience with same-sex attraction. God may not remove those feelings until Jesus comes to get me, but I knew that we needed to talk about that because there were others, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, families in our midst who needed a safe place to talk. And so from that came the ministry of, of Centerpiece, 
We have a website. We have a Facebook page. You can go and look at all of the opportunities that are there for ministry for families. We do parent retreats for men and women who have a son or daughter who embraces a gay identity. We have retreats for men and women who experience same-sex attraction called tapestry. I do workshops like we did this weekend at Gateway. And it is, is, it's the most encouraging thing I know to have churches, church leaders who say, you know what, Sally, we don't know how to talk about this, but we want to because there are people who are hurting in our midst and we want to make sure that we provide a safe place for people to talk. So it's been a great encouragement for me to be here with you this weekend, yeah. John. Thank you. Thank you, Sally. Thanks, thanks for your vulnerability to share. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this wasn't in our questions or notes, but as you were talking, I was thinking about some friends that I've had. I have a specific friend. He doesn't live here anymore. He lives up in Illinois or someplace, and he was a drug addict. Uh, cocaine was his uh, drug of choice, and when he, he went to prison, for I think a decade maybe, and when he when he became a Christian, um, his experience was that his desire for cocaine went away instantaneously, and he's never had a temptation again. And I always kind of told him I hated his guts for that, you know. <laughs> I, and I, I don't mean to, I, and I don't mean to say anything bad about what God's work he's doing. That's wonderful, but God doesn't work that way in everybody. That's right. And He hasn't worked that way in my life. Right. There are there are struggles that I have in my life, and they have been ongoing. Right. And. I wish that all the time God would always, it's gone. Yeah. But that hasn't been my experience. Maybe that hasn't been some of your experiences either. Maybe you struggle yeah. with uh, some ongoing temptations in your life. I, I know that uh, one of the reasons that it helps us today, this conversation helps us, is because this is, it reminds me as you share your story, this is not a topic. Right. This is my sister in Christ. Right. These are my brothers in Christ. Right. And, and so you do this a lot. You, do, you go to churches a lot. What is, what is kind of your goal? What do you hope happens when you go to a church? If we can help people come to a place of, of simply realizing, you know, it, it's a process for each one of us. And this has been a 20-year process, a 20-year journey for me from having really come to terms to say, God, this is something that I need your help with in my life. So I've had 20 years to process and think. I can't expect people who maybe this is the first time you've had this conversation. This is the first time you've ever heard this mentioned in a worship service. And so we're, we're not going to be at the same place. But if we can come to a place to realize, okay, I realize that Jesus invites everybody to the table. Everybody to the table. The name centerpiece is built on the truth that Jesus invites us all. And he's the centerpiece of that table of fellowship. And it's there in that table, in that experience of communing together, just like we did a moment ago, that I remember that what's most important is we're brother and sister. And no matter what else exists, whether we agree on everything or we disagree on lots of things, the one thing that unites us is our love for Jesus. And it's there that we're reminded of who we are and whose we are and and what He calls us to. We're reminded of that sacrifice, not just on the cross, but of simply coming to this earth and being one of us, of occupying this body that is so flawed. There I gain the strength and the motivation to be more of who He wants me to be. And so that's what I pray every church is is reminded of because those are truths that we know. Those are truths that I grew up really believing, but somehow in this one area we've gotten the idea that this is so much worse than anything else, and that's not biblical. That's simply not in Scripture. We've created that distance that refusal to allow people to come to the table. That's where our power and motivation is found. So that's my prayer. Yeah, thank you. And I, I just want to say, this wasn't in our notes either. So this is where it gets dangerous. You know, I'm just telling you guys, I, these, are, these are just a couple of thoughts. But there are some biblical reasons that people may have said, oh, that's worse than others. But it's interesting, if we go to Proverbs, I believe it is, and it says, there's six things that the Lord hates. 
This particular struggle is not listed there. The struggles that I find listed there are the struggles I have every day of my life of pride, talking behind people's back, haughtiness. These are the things that are listed that God hates. So, so I, I, I just uh, I appreciate that. I agree. If we want to be, if we want to have a safe place where people can come to the table, no matter their struggle, they can come to the table and they can they can be here. Then I, I think it's helpful if you can share a few common mistakes that you've seen churches make, because we don't. I think it's possible we might not know we're making a mistake. Mm. We might not know that we're putting up a barrier. Yeah. Uh, certainly we don't need to say that those kinds of messages, and, and I loved what you did, we don't know that those came from someone here at that church, but certainly that's the overt message. Um, a lot of times in workshops that I do, I show signs that churches have put out. In fact, in my hometown, I live in Dallas, uh, in a suburb of, of Rowlett in East Dallas, and at a little church there, there was a sign that was making fun of the LGBT community right out in public for everyone to know. Do you think anyone who identifies as gay would ever think it's safe to come in the doors of that particular church? Of course not. And we may not be doing that, but I think there are lots of ways that we send a message of whether or not we would be a welcoming church. A lot of times, it's with that, that idea that you opened with of, of having to draw a line, that we need to draw a line very clearly, very clearly delineated line on this particular issue when we don't feel the need to do that with anything else. We felt that need historically when we wrestled with what to do with divorce and remarriage in the church in the 70s. We've wrestled with that in other areas, but as people come to realize that this affects real people, it affects the people we love, it affects our sons and our daughters and our granddaughters and our grandsons and our nieces and our nephews, then we begin to realize, wait a second, I want to respond in the way God calls me to, and that is our first and foremost concern always, but it's that balance, that overwhelming balance of love that is unending because that is God's love for us. We know that nothing separates us. And so that becomes the more predominant language. That becomes the language that surrounds everything that we do. And it becomes more important for us to build relationships with each other and to really know because you see, the more I know about you and your story and where you've come from, the more I feel for you, the more compassion I have for you, the more understanding and caring, and my heart goes out to you the more I know about you, the more I want to pray for you. And so I think that's where we begin as we pray mm -hmm. for God to send us people and for us to take on a posture of love that is more concerned about building relationship, and you build relationship by getting to know each other. And I get to know who you are by listening to you more than telling you about me. And that's real hard for Sally because Sally is a talker, and Sally loves to tell stories, and I love also to tell you what I think. Remember, I'm a lawyer, and so <laughs> I like to do that. And I've also been taught to be prepared to give an answer to be prepared to tell you what I believe, to not be ashamed of the gospel. As though this one particular area of struggle were the only part of the gospel. And when, in fact, the gospel might shine more clearly, more brightly through my simply loving you and listening to you. What would it be like if instead of saying, I love you, but I need you to know where I stand on this issue. I need you to know that this is wrong. What if that became, tell me what this has been like for you. What's it like for you as someone who identifies as gay to live in Rio Doso, New Mexico? Where did you grow up? What was that like growing up for you as a kid? What's it been like with your family? Have your mom and dad, do they know? How have they received you? Because... Sometimes they will begin to tell you 
that family has walked away or that we're too scared to say the truth to our family because we fear that turning away. And then you begin to realize, oh my goodness, sitting in front of me is someone who needs family more than I ever dreamed, needs to know God's love more than I ever dreamed. And so what if we flipped that to belonging first and having a place where you can feel God's love? It's Christ's love that compels us. It's Christ's love that transforms our lives. And by listening, by choosing language that keeps the door open for further conversation instead of closing it by drawing that line in the sand, but keeping the door open for more conversation, that doesn't have to mean that we've changed, that we've altered, that we've wavered on what we believe is God's design for our lives at all. It simply means that we're waiting and we're praying for God to give us just the right time to share whatever it is that this person might need in his or her life. That's what's been most effective in my life. That's great. You know, that scripture you mentioned that says, be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. And we always quote that scripture. I've heard it quoted all my life. And many times I've heard the end of the scripture left off. It says, but do so with what? Yeah, it, it says literally gentleness and respect, which is love. That's right. Do so with love. To listen to somebody is being gentle and respectful, listening, hearing, so, and praying for that time that might come. Uh, J.E. shared something great in the teen class this morning that he had heard uh, another person share with him that uh, many of our experience, for a I, lot of us... I stole that, J.E. Yeah, that was great. For that. What, what a lot of us, for our experience, has been about coming to God has been this. We have behaved. That's what I did. I behaved. And then I learned about the Bible, and I believed. And because I behaved and I believed, I was able to belong. And what J.E. heard another person say is, you know, you know what's really probably going to be true for some people, and especially people who experience same-sex attraction, is probably going to be the opposite. They probably need to belong. And as they belong, they're going to believe. And then God's working on them and their behavior, just like he's changing my behavior. Their behavior is going to be changed. I think that's a really good uh, illustration for us to think about. You know, I have to say, uh, for, for all of us, there, you know, this isn't, this isn't just uh, easy. This isn't easy to talk about, and it's not easy to think about. And as we consider uh, our church family being a safe place for every single person, there are some questions and concerns, that I think, that come into all of our minds. And one of them is our children. I think that's something that pops into all parents' and grandparents' minds. Wait a second. What about, what about my children? I mean, if I... If, if we have a gay couple who comes to our church and worships here, then isn't that going to be stating to my children? Won't I be telling my children that's an acceptable way for you to choose to live? That's, that's a great question and a very important question because as, as a teacher, while I can't relate to that question as a parent, I've not had any children of my own. I've had many children that I still claim and have contact with that I've had in the classroom. And I have a great, great love because I know what a difference it made in my life to have a mother especially who was consistent and relentless in teaching me what God wanted for my life. That's made all the difference. And so, yes, I support that wholeheartedly. And at the same time, a lot of the way that she taught me was to enter into conversation with me about things that I observed, about things that I witnessed, that I encountered from my friends at school, from things that we watched on television. And she was, she was the classic with the, the remote. Well, we didn't have remote control when I was growing up. You had to literally get up, and she would get up and storm over to the television, high stars, and turn that off. <laughs> She was very careful about what I watched, and I would encourage us to do the same. There is even more today. And yet, all of those moments provide teachable moments for our children. Conversations just waiting to be had, if we're brave enough 
to take them. And maybe we enter into that with other friends and families within the body of Christ to talk about what does that mean? Because here's the sad truth. If you think that you can escape this conversation and just not talk about it with your children, if you have waited until they are in junior high before you ever broach this subject, you have waited too late. Because the truth is, your children, who are in high school, have grown up never knowing a time that Ellen DeGeneres had not come out on television. They've never known a time when there were not gay characters on television shows. Almost every television show that you can watch has a character who's gay. Now, we can get really irate at that and think, oh, that's just terrible. We're not going to watch any. We just can't watch anything anymore. And yet, the kids that I encounter and talk to see our inconsistency in that because, you see, we had no problem watching and have no problem watching the reruns of The Golden Girls or of Friends. And there are all kinds of things in those relationships and that television series that are not what God calls us to. And there are all kinds of relationships around you this morning and in our family systems that are relationships that may not necessarily be what God calls us to. There are marriages that are not as God intended. Maybe like the marriages that I witnessed growing up where people didn't really enjoy each other as God intended. They stayed together, they didn't divorce, but they really didn't enjoy each other. There was nagging, there was backbiting, and you say, well, yeah, that happened, that's true. But do we handle that? Do we respond to that? Do we sit down and say, you know what, I want to have a marriage that is what God wants us to have, and I want us to paint a picture of marriage for our children that's what God wants for us. And yet we give no thought to our children being exposed to those kinds of relationships. Relationships where a wife nags and nags and nags relentlessly. Or a husband is belittling or silent and really doesn't get involved in family life. He works all the time and he makes a wonderful living, but he's really not invested in the emotional development and nurturing of children. And yet we give no thought to that. We, we just don't think anything of that. And yet, when I look at Scripture and when I look at examples of families and fathers and mothers, that's not what I see God calling us to, to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. For fathers not to exasperate their children. Do we give thought to those kinds of examples that are being set, to families that are more concerned with what a child will major in in college and what kind of income that will generate as to whether it is what he's gifted in, what he feels called to. You see, there are all kinds of things that we expose our children to. Exposure to a same-sex couple, is that what God wants for our lives? I, I don't believe that it is. But it's no different than any of these other things. And it becomes an opportunity for us to teach our children about loving people who are imperfect as we are. About loving people no matter where they are in their thinking, no matter how they may be living their lives at that moment. We love, and in the midst of that loving relationship, God can do all kinds of things. And we can have an opportunity to teach our children, this is not what God wants for us. But we're going to love no matter what. And here is what God wants for us. And here's why God wants this for us. What a wonderful conversation we could have. And what a wonderful example of unconditional, unending love we paint so that our children know what God really feels for us. So if I can, if it's okay, I'm, if I can repeat back to you what I kind of hear you saying about our children is that if, if, we're, if we feel fear, well, my children may end up being like that, okay? The part of what you're saying is, um, I mean, look at, look at us. 
we all have, we all are, we all, there's nobody in here that I would say, I want my kids to be just like you. <laughs> and the first person that I'd say that about is the one I have to look in the mirror every morning. Okay. So there's no person that I'd say, I want my kids to be just like you. So I think what I hear you saying is we don't necessarily have to be so afraid because right. my children know that my children are being taught. Right. They're being taught what's the Bible right. says and what's true. And, and so uh, if, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I wanted no. to kind of wrap that up a little bit in a shorter version. Is that, is that fair? What I said? Yeah. Yeah. It Maybe is oversimplified. It, well, and, and I will, I will tag on to this. The, the even bigger picture is, is what we're teaching our children about God because if they're not having this conversation with us at home, they are at school, and they're talking with their friends at school and their friends' families, and they're listening to television shows, and they are formulating a perception, an impression, a belief system about this that you are having no part of, either out of fear of not wanting to talk about this, not knowing what to say, that's why it's so important that we learn what to say because they may be formulating an idea about this that is not what God would call them to. But more importantly, if they get a very loving picture from what they hear at school and what they hear on television, and that conflicts with what they also hear us saying about people who are in that situation, it can paint a very distorted picture of God in the process. It paints us as being very inconsistent in the ways we love, in the people we love, in the people that we will embrace and not embrace. And if that's what God's love is like, if we're supposed to be reflecting God's love, and it is based on conditions of whether or not we agree with every facet of your lives and the way you're living, what I hear so many college students saying to me now is, Sally, if that's your God, I want no part of your God. I want no part of that church system because it's inconsistent. We've drawn that line in the sand and, and we've given no thought to where people are. And yet you tell me God's like that. It, it can't be both ways. Okay. Thank you. I, I think that one of the things that is really helpful is in, in your book, you, uh, Sally shares at near the end of her book about when she does share this struggle with her family and her friends. Uh, you talk about the, the people there, a counselor, your parents, some friends, and it was so powerful to hear how they responded to you about that. And, and I think that this is something, whether we want it to be or not, it is going to be conversations w most of us are probably going to have or are having with children or grandchildren or a friend or a niece or nephew. And I just, I just wonder if you can share with us, uh, do you have any suggestions to offer uh, for people who are convinced that homosexuality is not God's plan, but have to face this situation with a loved one? Can you give us any suggestions about just how to respond? I know what was most powerful for me in my experience, and that was the counselor I mentioned earlier, whose expression on his face didn't change. It was one of warmth and kindness, and love. So often our faces communicate far more than our words. Nonverbal communication is what people believe. You can say, I love you. I don't mean to be unkind, I love you. But if your face looks like this, we believe the face. I'm so thankful that he looked at me lovingly, that he never raised his voice, that he didn't seem all, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, I'm so glad you came to talk, uh, talk to me, Sally, uh, 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 and then sent me somewhere else. He didn't do that. He loved me right where he was. You say, well, of course, he's a counselor. He's supposed to do that. Right. That's right. That's how he gets his paycheck. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I paid him a lot of money. <laughs> it was worth every penny of it. And God provided exactly what I needed. But what each of us comes to realize when you've been the person who has something to share is how important it is that someone receives you with grace and love. I was so ashamed and so embarrassed and so terrified that my mother's love for me would change. 
that I couldn't even look at her when I shared, when I told her. I sat on one end of the ottoman, I sat back to back, and she sat on the other end. But there was absolutely nothing that changed about my mother's love for me. You'd think that that was every mother's love, but I love that verse, I believe it's in Isaiah. You know, can a mother forget the child at her breast, even if she does? There are some mothers who don't respond lovingly. That's why God steps in and says, I will never forget you. But that made all the difference in my life to have my mother's and my father's love. For them to say, Sally, you didn't just get here on your own. We're in this with you. This is a family thing. This is a journey that we're all on together. Their love for me has never wavered, and that made all the difference in the world. That's what kept me centered, because they painted a picture of God's love for me. They made God safe for me. They made church safe for me. Even when church might not have been safe because, you see, I didn't feel free. I was there every Sunday. I was in the midst and actively involved in every church that I've ever been a member of. But I didn't feel free to share because I didn't quite know how you would respond. That's why it's so important that we respond lovingly now. And what I write in the book about my friends is not just one conversation because this is an ongoing struggle for me. This is an ongoing journey for me and it may be the rest of my life. So those conversations didn't just happen one time. Okay, we talked about that. Don't have to do that anymore. It's ongoing. And every time the enemy wants to creep in and say, Maybe this is not the way you need to live this out, Sally. Maybe this is too hard. Maybe, what if, maybe God is not so fill in the blank. I'm so thankful for those people who have not freaked out, who have not turned away, who have not wavered, who have stood right by me. I'll never forget the friend that I shared those questions with, and her response simply was, Okay, well, it's time to go get the kids from school. <laughs> and so we went by to get the kids from school, and then we went to Sonic, and we got something to drink. And when the kids were doing their homework, we continued the conversation. But she never changed in the way she related to me. She never changed in the way she loved me. She didn't move away from me. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, Sally, I love you, but you can't be around my kids anymore because until, until you get all of that together, she embraced me more and I was included more in their family. And that was what kept me centered. Yeah, it was just it's such a great part of your story. And it, it um, I, tell, I, I told Sally the other day when I was telling her this, I don't cry too much, not very often. And I just couldn't hardly keep reading. I had to put the book down because just the way people responded. Uh, and, and again, they weren't just saying, oh, well, the Bible doesn't matter. Who cares about the Bible? We don't believe the no. Bible. We're just going to leave the Bible. Throw the Bible out. They weren't saying that at all. Not at all. But they were responding with such grace and love. I just saw the picture of God, and it was so powerful. Yeah. Sally, thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being my friend. I hope you can be our friend. I hope you guys will get to know Sally. She's going to eat with us today. Uh, I hope Good you're going to come to small luck. group with us tonight. And yeah, so, uh, so we're really glad you're here. Would you guys thank, thank you. Sally again for being here? I just want to ask you if you can evaluate your own heart for just a second. I'm not going to talk much longer. But if you can evaluate your own heart for just a second and think about what's going on inside of you right now. As you think about your own heart right now, would you say the posture inside your heart looks more like this? Kind of a little bit uptight and a little bit like I'm ready to hold the line and fight and I don't know, I'm feeling, okay? Or is your posture in your heart a little bit more like this? And that might be an oversimplified question. There might be other postures besides that. I, I know you could have a posture like this and still have concerns. I understand that. I'm not trying to paint a picture that's unreal. But I'm asking you to think about your own heart for just a minute. I 
am a sinner. I am a mess. God is helping me. God is changing me. God is doing great work inside of me. But there's a lot to still work with inside of me. And I would ask you guys, as you think about me, and you don't even know all the mess of my life, but if you, some of you do, and as you think about me, what do you think God's posture is toward John? You think God's posture is, now wait a second, now hold on. Is it like this, or is God's posture like this toward John? And so may we, may we be people who are ambassadors of the character of God. May we be a church who figures this out. We're not going to figure it out perfectly, but we can follow the Holy Spirit. We can stumble along and walk and move. And may we be this. Amen? All right. There may be somebody who wants, maybe there's somebody who wants prayer today. I don't know. There may be somebody who, who feels like my heart is like this. My heart is very hard toward this, and I don't want it to be, and I'd like for a shepherd to pray for me. There may be somebody who says, I have a family member, which, by the way, I want to make sure and mention this. Sally's available. If you want to talk to her further, and you have situations in your family and your life, she's glad to have conversations with you about that. She'll be here all day. Maybe you do want some prayer from one of our shepherds about a family member. And, and maybe it's you. Maybe you are here today and you are experiencing same-sex attraction. It's an invitation from a Savior. It's an invitation from a God who loves all of us. It's an invitation to, uh, to come to Christ. So I invite you today as we stand, as we sing. This is my desire.